Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Could you please join me in welcoming Paul Gibbs? Thank you. Well, good evening. Uh, it's really nice to be here. Um, excited, and uh, hopefully, um, uh, everything I say tonight will be a blessing to you. Uh, I've been asked to speak on the subject of prophecy, which is part of the series you're doing. So, um, I'm going to share some really practical things I've learned over uh, the years of following Jesus. Um, and hopefully they'll be helpful to you. We'll just start with a little bit about um, myself. So um, I'm married. I have uh, two children, one wife. Uh, my children are 22 and 24 years old. And uh, we moved from Moston to Texas 14 years ago, which is why I sound so Texan uh, now, as you can tell. And I tell everybody this story when I first start, um, but when I first went into a Texas restaurant, I realized I had an issue uh, because I asked for an order um, and nobody understood me. In fact, my waitress asked me my order three times and the fourth time she asked me in Spanish because Americans don't speak English. That's the main thing I've learned. So we've been there a while and uh, all that time, um, things have happened and strange things and wonderful things. And one of the oddest things happened was that um, my eldest son, who uh, I, I deeply love, loves me, but doesn't always tell me everything. And, um, and you know, we, we've never known him to have a girlfriend, really. And um, around the age of around about 20, 21, uh, he went off to work in um, California, came back, and um, we heard rumors, let me say, that he had a, a special friend. Um, and one day I was playing FIFA with him on the PlayStation, and um, I went out of the room and said, Dad, just come back a minute. So I, okay, he said, he said, Dad, he said, um, I need to tell you something. He said, um, I've got a girlfriend. I said, oh, that's great. That's great, Joel. So is, does she love Jesus? Yeah, she loves Jesus. That's great. Okay. You got a picture of her? Yeah, I've got a picture of her. So I'll show you a picture. This is, uh, uh, her name is quite posh, Alexander Della Torre. This is my son. Who's going, yeah, she's cute, isn't she? So I said, that's great. That's fantastic. That's wonderful. I said, so how long have you been going out with each other? And she said, oh, it's, you know, he said, it's a while. I said, oh, what, like two or three weeks? He went, no, no, it's longer than two or three weeks. I said, seriously? He said, yeah, longer than two or three weeks. He said, oh, like a couple of months? He said, maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit longer. I said, oh, okay. He didn't seem to be very forthcoming. So I said, well, bring her around tomorrow. So he brought Lexi around tomorrow. And the next day, we chatting with her. I said, hey, um, we'll take her out for a meal tomorrow, get to know you. So we took her out for a meal with Joel. Joel made a rookie mistake and went to the restroom and left toilet and left her alone with us. So me and Lynn, our heads span round immediately to her and we said to her, hey um, Lexi, how long have you been going out with Joel? And she said, 
officially or unofficially. And I thought, this is going to be bad. I said, just officially, let's stop the bleeding, just officially. She said, officially? I said, yeah, she said, three years. Three years. I said, seriously? She said, yeah. Anyway, she gets back, she Instagram friends me that night, and there's an entire alternative life of my son on her Instagram. There they are by the Golden Gate Bridge in California. There they are on a camel in Africa. No, that didn't really happen. But I thought if I keep looking at this, that's what's going to happen. You know? Three years, they've had this relationship. They'd, been, they'd had anniversaries and all sorts together. Well, that's how bad a parent my wife is. Um, so he hid this from me. So uh, tonight, I think we're all aware that God is not looking to hide his direction from our lives. God is looking to speak to us. And he uses all different manners of doing that. And one of them is through prophecy. Uh, There's an old uh, phrase that God will not hide things, or God does not hide things uh, from us, but for us at the right time. I personally think that's the same with God's direction. That when we're mature enough to handle it, he will give us and he will speak to us quite clearly. But how does he do that? And why does he do it that way? I'm going to give you some really practical things I've learned over the years. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to um, turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. Because we're going to ask the question, how do we know when God's speaking to us? How do we know when God's speaking to us? Oh, by the way, I forgot to say, um, since they um, started to go out with each other, they got engaged three months later. Um, Then they got married something like six months later. And then um, 18 months later, I became a grandfather. This is... Oh... It's not Destiny Winter Gibbs. I must have been thinking about the church. It's Winter Doris Gibbs is her name. So she's cute, isn't she? So I answer now to put the name Paul and Grandpops. Either of them will work. So, Okay, um, 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 9 to 12 says this. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. So uh, I got saved through and grew up in a Pentecostal church. Boom! Okay, I say that in America because it freaks people out when I say a Pentecostal church. And uh, I've learned this, that every church has its nutters. Like you have nutters, don't you, in your church, be honest. Like some of you know who they are now, okay? Pentecostal churches, my opinion, I've travelled a lot around the world, Pentecostal churches have more nutters per square foot than any other type of church because you can be a nutter in a Pentecostal church but people think you're spiritual. That's what I've learnt. So um, I've had this constant battle over the years of trying to figure out how to find the balance between common sense and this amazing thing that God does of prophecy, how he speaks to us through other people. Um, and I've been in situations, I remember helping to lead a church and repurpose a church. And part of the repurposing of this church was just to bring in a, a, some kind of common sense. I remember a, a lady asking me to cast out a demon from her husband because uh, he wouldn't have sex with her. But when I talked to the guy, he, just, he was so henpecked, he didn't want to touch her. Um, at the same time, when I went to America, um, my hands were tied. I wasn't able to talk about the Holy Spirit in the church I was helping for a while. I hadn't realised that was going to happen. I got there and they, kinda, they said, hey, Paul, we don't want you to talk about the Holy Spirit. And I remember just uh, leading these people. And, and you know, after a couple of years, we got them to a place where they were so hungry for God. And they were, there was a, I remember this worship service where they all started shouting out, more, Lord, we want more, Lord. And I was like, I know what to pass on to you, but I can't. My hands are tied. So in this situation, that, that's been a, a challenge for me, is what is this balance and, and how do I kind of figure 
that out. And what is the solution? And I thought, well, surely the solution is that God just speaks to us directly. Why wouldn't it be that God just directly speaks to us from heaven like a clear, audible voice? Maybe, maybe you've had that situation. But why, why? And that would make things so much simpler, surely. If you're walking along and suddenly God just tells you something, or, or there's just an audible voice, why would that not be the case? It happened to Jesus. And, and actually, when we look at that story, we find out something really interesting. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to look, look at Luke 3 before we get really practical. Luke 3 says this. Luke 3, verse 21 to 22. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven came, You are my son, whom I love with you, I am well pleased. So there's a Hebrew word for this. Uh, it's bat kol. Uh, bat kol in Hebrew means daughter of the voice. And there's something quite surprising about this. So there's a phrase, there's a, there's a term for an audible voice from heaven. Now, most of us, I would guess, including me, have not heard that. I'm not talking about like you can't get a sense that God's speaking to you. I mean a audible voice voice from heaven. It would sound like a wonderful thing. It happened to Jesus. Why can't it happen to the rest of us? Um, daughter of the voice and the, the kind of more Western um, interpretation, which is an echo voice, um, essentially infers that God speaking through people is better and that God speaking audibly from heaven is God's second choice. Why? Why would that be God's second choice? That God would speak with a booming voice. I mean, if other people heard it who weren't Christians, surely they would believe. So, so why would that, these are the kind of questions I ask, why would that be the case? So I did some research into this, and uh, some interesting, there's an interesting text in, in the Babylonian, sorry, the um, Jerusalem Talmud and the Mishnah, which is some Jewish writing. So this is what the Jews believe about this, or what was written in Jewish text anyway. After the death of Haggai, Zechariah and Malachi, the last of the prophets, the Holy Spirit ceased from Israel. Nonetheless, they received communications through the medium of bat Kol. Here's the kicker. In Jewish thinking, bat Kol is God's last resort. Why would that be? It's God's last. It wouldn't be ours, would it? I mean, for me, that would be my primary choice. But it's actually God's last resort. In fact, we think sometimes that the more spiritual we are, the more dramatic God will speak to us. I've learned exactly the opposite. I've learned when I was spiritually mature, and I'm not saying I'm spiritually that mature now, but when I was spiritually mature, God had to speak to me quite dramatically to get my attention. So I even knew it was him. The more mature I've got, God's given me a different way of finding direction, which I'll talk about a little bit later on. But why? Why would this be the case? The Jewish Encyclopedia says this. The Holy Spirit rested upon the prophets and the intercourse was personal and intimate. While those that heard the back call stood in no relation whatsoever to the Holy Spirit. Back call requires no relationship. But God does. 
God is looking for relationship. And our commitment, our connection to him is seen by him through our connection to one another. We see this countless times in the things that Jesus says. That the way God judges our relationship with him is through the way we treat one another. The way we listen to him, therefore, quite often, is the way he speaks through others. I mean, after all, it was people who wrote the Bible. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, it was people who wrote the Bible. Uh, we know that, uh, uh, you know, at one point, in its most immature sense, when Israel is being called out of, uh, called out of Egypt, they get the, the pillar of fire and the cloud, and it's very dramatic. But when they cross over the river, that goes away, and they have to follow people. So God is all about relationship. And our relationship with one another is key to our relationship with him. It's really interesting. So as much as we would like to say, well, I'm going to come to church, and, and I loved it. It wasn't said today, at least I didn't hear it, and I love it when people don't say this. What I don't like is when worship leaders say things like, hey, just shut out everybody else and just concentrate on him. Well, why come to church? What's the, that's the opposite. The Bible says we come to church in order to encourage each other. We come with a psalm. We come with a word of testimony. We can, even my singing, which is terrible, is supposed to be at least encouraging people because you can see that God's done something in me, which hopefully will encourage you and vice versa. So it's all about relationship, which seems to be key. That God wants to speak through relationships. Why? So um, I have a wife, as I said. We've been married 31 years. I want you to imagine... One day I come downstairs and I walk in and she's in the living room and she's got the remote control. And she's, sorry, I'm, I've got the remote control. I'm watching TV and one day she, she walks in, okay? So I'm watching, I'm flicking through the channels. On one channel, it's um, kind of like a, a, a flipping house program. You know, like the flip houses? Another one, it's a cookery show. And the third one, England again beaten by Germany on penalties. Okay, so the soccer... There's a turning a house round program and a bakery program. Imagine if my wife, after 31 years, walks through the door and I think, oh, I wonder which, which program Lynn wants to watch. I know if she sits down and she crosses her legs this way, it means she wants to watch the bakery program. But if she sits down and she wants to watch, crosses her leg that way, she wants to watch the flipping house program. But if she scratches her head, she wants to watch the soccer program. That'd be crazy, wouldn't it? I know, because I know her, that of all those three, it would be flipping the house program. Now, we're actually going to watch the football, obviously, but at least I know what she would like to watch. Why? Because I have a relationship with her. And the problem with fleeces, uh, which I'm not a big fan of, but I know that God sometimes in his grace, especially when we're more, I think, uh, uh, less mature, I think God would give us an honour fleeces, if you know what I mean by that, where we ask God for a sign. God, give me a sign. I think you're saying this, give me a sign. God honours that. Maybe you're a Christian because of one of those things. Maybe, maybe God's given you something very important to do in your life and God's used that method. I just think there's a better way. And I want to share with that a little bit later on. But here's the issue. When God speaks through people, how do we know if it's God? How do we know if it's God? C.S. Lewis had a famous trilemma. Um, a trilemma, in case you're not sure what that means, is a choice between two or more difficult or unfavourable alternatives. So, uh, is everybody familiar with this idea? Yeah, good. C.S. Lewis, uh, one of his apologetics methods would say, hey, 
Jesus was either a liar, either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. He couldn't have been all three. He had to be one of those three. Make a choice. Here's my trilemma. When God speaks through someone, or even sometimes when we feel God speaking to us, it's one of three things. Can I suggest it's either imagination, manipulation, or revelation? The question is, how do we know the difference? So what I'm going to do tonight is share with you what a young lad... No, I'm an old man. Who am I kidding? An old man from Moston has learned over the years about how God speaks. I have certain questions I begin to ask. I want to share those questions with you. Maybe they will be helpful. I hope and I pray that they will be helpful to you. So, let's look at the first one. Is it imagination? How do we know when God gives us a word or gives us a word through someone, it's not imagination? Now, if it's someone's imagination, it may not be an awful, terrible thing when someone gives you a word, but it may distract you from what God really wants to say to you. So it's not a terrible thing, but it could distract you from something God really wants to speak. In fact, you might take something someone says that's actually just their imagination and think, oh great, I've got my answer and stop praying, asking God to lead you. So we need to, we need to be able to know if something is from our imagination. One of the, one of the problems uh, with imagination is quite often it has a kernel of truth to it. So one of the problems with the imagination is often when God speaks, what we often do is we attach the nearest thing we know that looks like it to it. Let me explain. Uh, I remember talking to a woman who said, God's called me to work with a particular organisation. I said, well, that's really specific. How did God say that to you? And she said to me, well, God told me, God gave me this word and I was going to heal young people in Africa and that organisation heals young people in Africa. So therefore, God's told me to go and work with them. Well, that's a little bit of a jump. And sometimes when people are giving me a word... They've gone on for ages and ages and ages. And I'm pretty sure what's happened is God says something to them and then they feel they've got to explain it yeah. in their prayer. So you've got this kernel of truth, but then you've got all this other stuff attached to it, which is more about imagination. Let me encourage you, if you give a word to someone, stop the minute you, you stop what God actually said. Don't feel like you have to need to explain. Yes. Yeah. Just stop there and then. So it may not be harmful, but it might distract you from God's real intention. So here's the two questions I ask. And, and this is not a foolproof guide. And, and obviously we're looking for the Holy Spirit to give us discernment. But I personally, my theology doesn't separate the spiritual from the practical. I think they're all connected. So these are things I feel the Holy Spirit has led me to ask. Number one, ask, is this ambiguous or can it be put to the test? I found over the years that when it's someone's imagination, it can be a little bit ambiguous. In other words, it's something that, it's like a bit fluffy, <laughs> for want of a better expression. For instance, somebody says to me, hey Paul, I really feel God would say to you, do not turn to the left or the right. Well, fair enough. That could be God, but I can't, how do I test that? What does it actually mean? The pagans used to sacrifice, go to temples, sacrifice, and ask for, for uh, uh, an oracle to pray uh, to the spirits and give them an answer. Remember, there was a, a great story where a king asked the oracle, this is a pagan god, pagan gods, um, I'm going to go and fight my enemy, 
Will I win or will I lose? And the oracle came back with the answer, a nation will fall. Well, thanks, that's not very helpful. So what I found is this second question is really important. Is this something that only God would know? Is this something that only God would know or know to do? That's one of the reasons I test things. I've got a friend who was a pastor, and um, I think Anthony knows this person, and uh, he's a practical lad like me. And uh, he was in church one day and having a great worship time. And a lady who's a very trusted woman came to the the elders and said, hey, I feel like I've got a word for the church. So he said, okay, come up on stage. So she gets up on stage and the meeting's going great, really good worship like tonight. Everybody's loving Jesus. And she gets up and says, thank you, pastor. Now she was a very spiritually mature woman and you could tell because she literally just said what God said to her and then she sat down. So this is what she said. Um, I believe God would say uh, tonight, uh, this morning, God would say that God hates mummies and daddies. Thank you, pastor. She goes, sits down. I mean, what do you do? I said, what do you do, mate? Just like, thank you, sister. Okay, let's get, let's get prayer. Let's get the worship going again. So he said, well, I didn't know what to do. We just carried on worshiping. She sat down. Really weird, because she seemed like a really, you know, spiritually mature woman. Anyway, during the worship, a woman comes to the front, crying her eyes out. They take her out. They minister to her. And she said, um, when I was a child, my father abused me. Nobody ever knew about this. Nobody's, I've never told anybody. But when he knocked on the door, he was like, come on, darling, we're going to play mummies and daddies. That is powerful stuff. But only God could have known that. I mean, the courage that that woman needed to share that is incredible. I think most people, if God had said that, would have got up and then tried to explain it away. But she simply got up and said, God hates mummies and daddies. And it unlocks something in this woman's life. But only she could have known that. Sorry, only God could have known that. It's not something that would be natural. So, so for me, these two questions I found helpful. Maybe you will. I don't know. Um, the second thing is, could it be manipulation? Could it be manipulation? How would you figure it out? Um, so I became a Christian when I was 14 years old. I backstood when I was 18, came back to the Lord when I was 21, and was desperate to tell people about Jesus, and felt God was calling me to be a missionary. Because God can like pour my heart missions and missionaries, which I interpreted, I attached it to the newest thing I knew. I'd been reading a lot of books on missionaries, and I thought God was telling me to be a missionary. Actually, God was calling me to make missionaries. That's what I do, I make missionaries. So I go for a few months to train to be a missionary and then realise, actually, that's not what God's saying. I come back to Manchester. And God begins to open up some schools work. I begin to do that. And then one day, an extremely mature Christian woman comes up to me. Now, this woman is the mother of the school teacher who led me to Jesus and the pastor who led the church. She was like the fourth power of the Trinity. And she comes up to me and says, Paul, I just need you to know, I just need you to know that God told me in the prayer meeting this morning that God is calling you to, as a missionary to Zaire. And I've talked to all the other ladies and we're going to raise your support to send you there. And we've already started looking at flights. So I'm like, okay, Mrs. I won't tell you her name. And just chide a little bit and then 
the best way I could at, at 23, 4 years old, I explained to her that I didn't feel that was what God was saying to me. Anyway, fast forward about 10 years. I was telling that story somewhere. And uh, this lady's nephew came up to me. And I told the story. He said, can I ask you a question? Was that my auntie? I said, yeah, it was actually your auntie. How did you know? He said, well, can I tell you a story? When she was about, you know, late teens, 19, 20, God called her to Zaire. But she fell in love with the guy. And he told her that it would either be her, sorry, Zaire or him. And so she never went. And he said, she's kind of famous, to be honest, that every time she sees someone with a bit of something about them, she prophesies over them. God's calling to his idea. And this is what he said to me. I didn't make this up. He said, it's as though she has a hole in her calling that she tries to fill with someone else. That's a really sad story. But that could have took me in a completely different direction. Now, that wasn't because she was evil, obviously, but it was a form of manipulation. And sometimes people do manipulate you. And it can be different. It can be hard. I remember um, a guy preaching once and he was he was preaching and he did this he said sorry sorry one second yes lord yes okay yes i'll tell them and then began to preach again i'm thinking that's just manipulation i'm sorry you don't need to do that you're just drawing your attention so it's out there isn't it it's out there so how do we spot that how do we know if something's from the lord or is just Manipulation. I'm just going to again suggest to you things I've learned that I think have helped protect me. So here's a couple of things to ask maybe. Number one, is this in line with what God has previously said? Is this in line with what God has previously said? I hope you don't mind me telling these stories. But, um, um, so years later, um, after um, kind of growing pays and reaching schools in England and beginning to reach into other countries... Um, through a whole weird set of situations that involved prophecy and all sorts of stuff. Um, um, I, I was leading with, with Pete. We were leading and repurposing this church in North Manchester. And it was going well. It was starting to grow. We'd been through some tough times repurposing it. It was now beginning to grow. We had an Eden team. Things were going pretty good. It was getting really pretty good. And I, I'd fallen in love with the people. Had a fantastic team around me. Kind of a ministry was growing in England. It, it was kind of, it was cool. It was good. And then, it seemed that God had opened up this door for us to go to Texas, which I really, I'd been to the place I now live, and it wasn't a great place to live. It wasn't a first choice place I would go. But it was an incredible opportunity. I won't go into detail, but it was an incredible opportunity. And I didn't know what to do. And I thought, this is, this is crazy. I don't know what to do here. And I remember thinking, I don't know which one to choose, because both of them are my favorites. Uh, I, I'm really enjoying the church. Uh, I, I, but I'd love the opportunity to go to America and do something that all the Americans are telling me won't work because they were telling me you can't do skills work in America that night I went to church and a woman in the church came up to me and she said this Paul God said to pass this message on to you you need to choose your favourite flower and plant it where it would normally not flourish which was America now, now, why do I say that? Because um, it was in line with what God had previously said. It wasn't, it wasn't opposing what God had said. It was in line with what God had previously said. But perhaps the most important question I ask at this stage is, who benefits? 
who benefits. Just before I left for the UK, I was in a uh, in, in the church I go to. We have a, a Bible study on the Wednesday morning. It's like a men's Bible study, and um, it was the question is, how do you know when you're passing on a word to someone? How do you know if you're doing good or you're just manipulating the situation? It was weird because I was about to I was preparing the message, and and I said, well, maybe it's who benefits. So this woman was desperate for me to stay. Desperate. Her husband hadn't been following the Lord. Since we'd repurposed the church, he'd kind of like recommitted his life to Jesus. Their marriage was great. The church was growing. They'd gone through hell. The last thing she wanted was for me to go. And I think that's, I think that's why she was the one that received the word. Because she didn't benefit from that. And I think... When we're passing a word on to people, it's, you know, when we're the, the instrument, I think if you're not sure, am I, is this imagination, is this not, is this manipulation? It's a good question to ask ourselves is, who benefits from this? So that would be um, my advice uh, in that. But let's get on to the, the good stuff. How do we know if it's Revelation. And I want to spend just a little bit of time on this. I think kingdom is key. It was great what Anthony said before. For me, kingdom is key. If it's revelation, then somehow it will advance God's kingdom within you or through you. It's interesting what the world is really preaching to us right now. Because the world is saying right now, follow your heart, isn't it? Follow your heart, which is really interesting. Because I would advise, whatever you do, don't do that. Because Jeremiah says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Yeah. Yeah. So actually, the Bible says if we want to discern God's will, it, it comes by transforming the mind. Yeah. It says that in Romans 12, doesn't it? We offer ourselves, our bodies, a sacrifice. As God renews and transforms our mind, then it says we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. And in a moment, I want to share with you the most important question, the question that I ask that leads me in virtually every decision I make of any real importance. But to understand God's direction in our lives, we need to understand his process. Jeremiah also says this in, in chapter 29, verse 11, and it's a famous passage, but I want to explain part of this to you that I've never heard explained, but I've, I've discovered it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So I'm, I'm not an academic. I'm just a lad from Moston. So I'm a pretty simple bloke. And so I understand things simply. I know there's a lot of theology about destiny and whether we're predestined. And, but I know that God calls us to live by faith, not by fate. So faith is hearing God's word and acting upon it. I also know that the Bible does talk about the providence of God. The providence of God. It mentions the providence of God 13 times in its pages. And the expression means to know in advance. So this is the best way I can explain, I think, how to understand and follow God's direction. So many years ago, when I was at school, I went to see the Bayon Tapestry. The Bayon Tapestry was in Manchester, I can't remember why, but it was in Manchester, it was being displayed. Do you know what the Bayon Tapestry is? Okay, so basically it's a long story, isn't it? I think uh, it's 234 feet long and from around about probably 1070 AD, if I remember correctly. 
So what's interesting is the original word, the origin of the word plans is actually an artistic word. If you look it up and do some research, it means to weave together and can be interpreted as meticulous, not left to chance. So I want you to imagine the Bayern tapestry. Um, when I went at school, it was laid out in the middle of the room. So you could see this beautiful picture, this incredible story of this battle. But what was interesting, the thing that I found fascinating was you could walk behind it. And when you walked behind it, you saw just a blur. It's like looking at the screen and squeeze. It was just full of threads. And there was a kind of a shape where you couldn't, because it was all the back end of it. It was kind of a shape, but you could just see all these threads, it seemed to me. What God is looking for us is for us to give him great choices. And for me, those great choices are like those threads. God will take those choices and he will thread them to create the best story he possibly can for your life. The better the choices, the better the story he can weave. If you give him poor choices, but you love him, he will use those poor choices and weave the best story, because all things work for the good of those who love him. But if they're poor choices, it's going to be a poorer story. If you give him strong choices, he's going to weave a fantastic story for your life. So how do we know we're making the right choices? How do we give God those better choices? I think we ask the better question. So this is a question I think is the best question you can ask. God, you might be saying, God, should I do this? Or God, should I do that? Or God, should I do this? I think God would ask you to ask this question instead. What is the most effective thing I can do to advance God's kingdom? I think sometimes the choice is up to you. And I think God is asking you to ask the question, out of these choices, out of these options, what is the thing you can best do to advance the kingdom of God? That's partly why the word about the flower fit in. Because this, by, by that time I was asking this question. And I realised, if I go to America, I can influence far more people throughout the world than I can by leading this church, even though I'm loving it right now and I'm with some of my best friends. For me, not for everybody, but for me in that particular situation... One was clearly going to advance the kingdom of God more to a greater degree. More people were going to come to Christ through one option than the other. Now, the problem is that a lot of Christians don't even know what the kingdom of God is. Uh, hopefully you do. Sometimes I say, what is the kingdom of God? It's really interesting. Some Christians will say, um, isn't it a place you go when you die? Or they'll say, well, the kingdom of God, um, it's the church, isn't it? But of course, the word basilia in Greek means the rule, realm, reign, or royalty of God. It's God's lordship on our life. When, when God is moving on a planet and things uh, on earth happen the way things should happen in heaven. When that becomes your primary concern in life, God will give you everything else. He takes care of the rest. That's why I've learned. When you seek first the kingdom of God. When you wake up in the morning and think, my primary concern today is that God... Heaven touches earth, and I'm part of making that happen. Now, along with that, there's some practical questions I ask. But it seems to me that all prophecies should be that question's servant. Yes. That question should not become their slave. Does that make sense? 
that that question, for me, is the primary question. That all prophecies should become its servants. And if they're from God, they will. If they're not, that question becomes their slave. In fact, um, I hope you don't mind me mentioning this, but uh, just if you're interested, I wrote a book on kingdom patterns. So how does God renew our mind? He does it by putting new patterns in our brain. And there's a whole thing of how the spiritual and science fits together so wonderfully. And how when we look at, you know, many, many years ago, people would say, scientists would say, oh, that's impossible. It's impossible for your mind to be renewed. It's only fairly recently, in the last few decades, that actually science has come up with the term neuroplasticity. And it says, oh, actually, no, your brain can be renewed. It can be rewired. It can be changed. So in this book, what I do is I explain five patterns that God uses to do that. And it's a bit of a weird book because it shows you maybe where you are and what God's about to do next. So it's available on Amazon. It might, might help you. But I want to get to the two questions that I use just on a practical scale, if somebody gives me a word, does this fit into God's word? My little phrase is this, and I believe this wholeheartedly. You may not. The Holy Spirit will not ask you to break his word or your word. The Holy Spirit will not ask you to break his word or your word. If the Holy Spirit, you feel the Holy Spirit is telling you to lie, I would say it's not the Holy Spirit. If, you're, if you've made a commitment to something, if you made a promise, my personal opinion, and you know, you can't, Anthony may have a different opinion, I don't know. My personal opinion is that God, through his Holy Spirit, will not tell you to break your commitment to something. Now, you may realize you've made a mistake, and I've got all sorts of advice about that, and you might need to go and ask to be released from something, but I don't think the Holy Spirit's going to tell you to break your promise or his word. So for me, does this fit into God's word? Is this prophecy going to help me? And sometimes it's not always clear, but does this fit into God's word at least? And then, um, just, just a thought on that is, um, do you know how to spot counterfeit money? Do you know how they train people to spot counterfeit money? Because I would thought they would give, you, like, they would give specialists a load of counterfeit money and show them what's wrong with it. Do you know what they do? What they used to do anyway, years ago in America, is they would get them, they would put them in a room with authentic real money, and get them to count it for days upon days upon days. They knew it so well, they could spot a counterfeit like that. They didn't study the counterfeit, they studied the original. And I think this is true, is that if we want to know what a prophecy, if we want to know if it's God, if it's imagination, manipulation or revelation, study the Word of God. The more you study the Word of God, the more you'll know if these things fit into what God has already said that we know for absolute truth. Another thing would be this. Is it a next step? It seems to me God's always moving us forward. Is it a next step? Is this moving you forward into God's purposes? Is this going to move God's purposes forward? Okay, let me, um, just as I begin to kind of bring this to an end, I want to just talk about what do you do if it's a revelation? What do you do if it's a revelation? Because if it's a revelation, if it's God, it's God. If God's speaking to you, you can't go, oh yeah, God gave me this word. It's God. So surely you have to do absolutely everything you possibly can. 
You can't say, if it's advice, so if Pete gives me some advice, I'm like, that's pretty good advice. I'll generally put that into practice. If I genuinely believe God said something to me, then surely you've got to like go for it 100%. Because it's God. <laughs> so just a couple of examples of this. Um, you know, many years ago, God gave me one of those words. And there's a bit more to it. But God basically said, through a couple of situations, everywhere you step, I'm going to give you. So this is when I was doing a bit of skills work in Manchester. God said, everywhere you step, I'm going to give to you. So as a young guy, I thought, okay then. I'm going to knock it back in your court. I'm going to walk across England. And I did. It took me 13 days. I did a prayer walk. And as I walked across England, I prayed every single day for hours. As I walked across England, I prayed, Lord, you, you said you're going to give me everywhere I step. So bring it on. And around that time, Pays moved from a local, regional, citywide ministry, eventually to something that is all over the UK. Because I believe if God says something, you've got to take it seriously. Um, and, and Pays has moved on since then. Since we moved to America, things have kind of grown. So Pays is in England. But then, through a couple of things that happened recently, these are the nations that Pays is in now around the world. We're in 14 different nations and there's some... If I had time, I'd tell you some pretty crazy stories. So we're all, all over the show. We're, we're even in Pakistan. We had a school call us in Pakistan, in Islamabad. We have, we have quite a few people working in Islamabad calling us to complain. A school called us to complain that we weren't in their school. We were in the school down the road. Uh, in Australia now, we're being asked to... Well, I'll, I'll talk about that in a moment. So we're, we're in all these different nations around the world now. And so much of this, I think, has been because when God says us some things, we said, it's either imagination, we ignore it. It's either manipulation, we're careful of it. But if it's revelation, we literally, if we say this is God, we put 100% into it. Yeah. So um, I, I traveled for, for many years. Something changed, and it was a prophecy. Something changed our ministry a few years back. So I used to travel around, a bit like Anthony said, you know, you turn up in a church, and I would try and get people on board with pays. I'd try and recruit them. I try and ask them to support us financially. And the way I did that for years, I'm talking about like, I don't know, 18 years, was by explaining that pays just makes common sense. We reach young people, somebody else has bought the building, somebody else has paid the staff, somebody else is going to give us a platform. It gives us automatic credibility because we're standing on a school stage. And we're talking to people when they're more open than any other time in their life. Hardly anybody gave. We recruited some people, but not that many people. And then in three different ways, God spoke to us. Um, somebody gave me the word and they said, I don't know what this means, but God, God, God will just give, me, just give me one word. And the word is irrigation. That was it. Okay, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. That was it. About a week later, I was in a different part of America, and this, pro, uh, this pastor said, I just got a picture. And he said, the picture is like a river. It's like a river, and it's got all these logs that are carrying down the river. And the logs represent the teaching of pays, the ideas of pays. But there's too many logs for the river. The river's pays. And there's a log jam. Pays can't cope with all the teaching. There's a log jam. And what you've got to do is you've got to cut channels. He didn't say the word irrigation. He said you've got to cut channels. And as the water flows and the logs flow out, it's gonna, there's going to be new 
new um, things are going to shoot up, resources and people are going to shoot up. And then I spoke to a guy who I, I go into, there's a, a few places I go and do consultancy in businesses. So there's a, a, um, a Dallas marketing firm that handles or handled a third of the McDonald's accounts. And uh, I give the CEO some help. Uh, well, he's just become the CEO now. And then one day he asked me, how can I help you? I said, well, I'm trying to raise support and finance. You got any thoughts? And he simply asked me this one question. He said, where the people who have given, why have they given? I said, what's the, he said, what's the common denominator? I said, oh, it's people who've been under our teaching. And these three things fit together. And what essentially God said to us was, get the teaching out. Explain the teaching. Make the teaching open source. It's in-house, get it out. So I started to write books, as my encourage you. I started to write books. The problem with writing books is you, it just goes out into the universe and you never know what happens with them. But one day I, I wrote the first book, which was badly written now, I can write it a lot better. wrote the first book and I felt God tell me to give it to this woman um, uh, when she was going on a, on a business trip. So she goes on this business trip, she comes back and um, she reads the book. She says, oh, I love that book, it's amazing. She says, it's helped me no end. She says, my, daughter, my daughter's been helped by the teaching. She says, um, can I come and have a chat with you? So I said, yeah. So she comes, sits down in my dining table. And she says, um, she says yeah, that teaching really impacts us. It's one about pays or reaching kids. That teaching really impacts us. So um, I've just sold my business. And I wonder if we can give you some, some money. I said, sure. She said, would a quarter of a million dollars help? I said, probably. And we've had other people again. That, that wasn't the most. That wasn't the biggest check I've ever been given. It was oh, sorry. It was the biggest check I've ever been given. But it's not the most by one person. And it's been since people have been getting the teaching. That one word changed everything for us. So now we're in, in countries like Australia. The reason we're in Australia reaching schools is not because we sent out emails saying, "Hey, we'd like schools work." We sent an email saying, "We've got this completely different way of doing Bible study. It's not like anything else you've seen before." Would you be interested? It's a way of mobilizing the congregation rather than it goes from one to many to many to many. Would you be interested? Oh, yeah, come over. And then they say, oh, you've got teams that do this? Oh, we'll have teams. And if that works, we'll do it throughout the city. And if that works, we'll do it throughout the, throughout the East Coast. So now we've got a whole denomination asking us just to train all their, all their leaders in this. And that's opened the door. Prophecies are important. But... It costs us a lot to invest in this one word that God's given us. And I would say to you, if it's God, do it. If it's God, you have to give the whole thing out. Ignoring God is a dangerous business. Let me just finish with one story, actually two stories. Ignoring God is a dangerous business. If you say, God has spoken to me, you are then responsible. You're taking on responsibility to give it 100%, I think. Um, I was speaking in Germany one day. And uh, just as I was about to finish, two Germans came in the back and they started talking to the guy who'd organised it. Imagine like coming in and started talking to Anthony. And I'm having this discussion. I'm, I'm teaching, but I can see they're talking about me. And the minute I finished teaching, this was about 10 o'clock at night, um, the guy who organised it came up to me and said, these two guys have come from, I won't say the organisation, a particular organisation in another part of Germany. And they've, they've travelled three hours to get here because God told them early today that you had an answer to their problem. Will you go back with him? Well, what do you say? <laughs> okay, can they get me on my plane? Yeah, they can get you on the plane. Okay, I'll go. So that night, I, I still to this day, I don't know where it was in Germany ended up. 
we travelled through the night, I fell asleep, and today I have no idea whereabouts in Germany I ended up. I basically got kidnapped. And then, um, then, then we had this weird evening where they, they kept giving me like different types of beer because they felt English people couldn't have proper beers. And there was a whole story to that. Anyway, the next morning, I'm, I'm, I'm stood or sat down in front of all their people, and they said, Paul, maybe you can just tell us your story. We don't know anything about you at all. So I said, oh, I do schools work. And Eliza said, that's amazing. This is God. This is God because our question is about schools. And we didn't know this is incredible. So I told them about what I do. I said, okay, what's your problem? He said, well, this is our problem. We've been reaching into schools. Kids are getting saved. But our people come on for a year and then go. So that's what we do. That's incredible. So what do we do, Paul? What do we do? Because kids are coming on and then, and then our guys leave. I said, it's great, brilliant. I, have, I actually have an answer. I was worried, but I have an answer. You need to partner with a local church and integrate them into the local church. And this is what they said to me. Oh, we don't believe in that. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, we just don't believe in working with a local church. I said, well, that's the answer. I said, yeah, we just don't like working with a local church. So, so now what? <laughs> And they didn't. That's bizarre to me. To, to know that God has spoken to you, to travel three hours there, three hours back, find out the person that God spoke to you about, literally has the answer, really does have the answer to your question, and then just ignore it because you're not disposed to doing that. So I want to challenge us, you know, as we're doing a series on prophecy, as we're hearing about God speaking, as we're, I would imagine every one of us in this room is like, God, speak to me. My challenge would be, are you sure you want him to do that? Because while it's just advice, you can take it or leave it. But when you confess, God has spoken to me, you've got to do something about that, surely. And it's got to be 100%, if it's God. So what if you've not done that? What if this, what if this evening you know you've took a misstep? What if you know I, I, I went the wrong way a while back? Can I give you one bit of advice that may help? Um, um, my wife, uh, the Foxy Lynn, as I call her, she, um, she and I are very different. I love adventure. I love doing stuff. She, she basically likes shopping and hotels. That's basically what she would do with her life if she could possibly do it. Uh, a professional shopper who stayed at hotels. That's her purpose in life, it seems to me. I like doing adventurous stuff. So for years, I'm, I always try and get her to do adventurous stuff. And many, many years ago, I, I said, you know, I've got this vision. My vision is to go for wilderness walks where you basically have to wee and poo in the fields. You can't, like, go to toilets. That, that's my dream, you know. So I thought, I, I, I'm a little bit manipulative. So I thought, hey, Dan, I just really feel like we don't get enough time. Let's do some quality time. Let's, let's start going on little walks together. And then it was like, a day with you is not enough. I think we should stay overnight somewhere. Let's do some B&Bs. Eventually, I tricked her into a three-day three walk throughout the Kengorms. So this is about, I worked out this, this plan on the map. And then just before we set off, I went into a store that had all the maps and local walks. And I found the walk we were about to do. And there was like it graded it between a hollow circle, which was easy, a half circle with you know, half black, which was difficult. And the one I'd chosen was double black. But I didn't tell her. So we go off and we, we basically end up somewhere that looks a bit like this. Um, oh, sorry, there we go. A bit like this. We're on like this crevice, or I don't know what you'd call that, but we're on this kind of like the tip. Uh, what would you call that? Anybody know? That's the word ridge. Thank you. We're on this ridge and we're walking along this ridge. And the path was here. And um, it, was it was like a sheer drop here. 
really bad. So we're going here, and Lynn, she just freaks out. She says, Paul, I don't want to do this. She says, there's a path just here. It's basically going the same direction. Let's walk on that path. So I thought, well, fair enough. You know, they both seem to be kind of parallelish. So we moved over about, probably about five or six feet, and we started walking on this path. And then the fog came down, like mist, a bit like this. Clouds came in. About an hour later, there's an entire lake that shouldn't be there in the middle of the mountains. And we are completely and absolutely lost. I literally have no idea where we are. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he reminded me of some advice I'd once been given. And that's the advice I'd like to give you. Because what I was thinking of doing, what initially I was about to do is say, okay, so we know the path is over there, so let's walk that way. But it was still misty and we could have just walked off a ledge or something. But I remember this piece of advice and the piece of advice I was given was once was this. Many years ago, I can't remember who told it me. Many years ago, I said, if you ever know you've missed God's direction, try and go back as far as you can to the last time you took a misstep and correct it if possible. Get back on the right path. I found that to be, you can't always do it, but when you can, it's really good advice. And that's what we did. Rather than going left, it took us a while longer, but we literally walked back the path, got to the place where we took off and got back on the right path. And maybe just for one person in this room, that would be good advice for you. Is if you've misstepped somewhere, if you've gone off the path somewhere, maybe what you need to do is go back to that thing. Maybe there was a time, I'm just going to share this, it just comes to mind. Maybe there was a time when you misstepped and things have not been right since. And you try to ignore that thing, that bit of disobedience, or when you didn't do something God said. And maybe there's someone, some of us can't fix that. We just have to repent. Ask for forgiveness. But there might be one or two of us in the room where we could actually go back and put that right. And when we do that, you might think that everything else, the clouds lift and things come, become a little bit clearer. So I would just share that with you if that's for anybody this, this uh, evening. But I want to encourage you, um, prophecy has changed my life. I do believe that the word, I, the, question, the bigger question I shared you is, is the most important, which is, out of these things, what will most advance the kingdom of God? That's the question I've asked, and it's never, ever let me down. I can honestly say that. It's never let me down, that question, so far. But, but I want to encourage you. God wants to speak to us. He's not like my son. He's not hiding truth from you. Okay? But he may hide it until you're ready to receive it. And what might be key is, are you ready to receive it? Are you going to do what God says if he gives you that word? Because maybe he's holding back because he doesn't want you to go fall into sin. Maybe if God knows you're going to be disobedient, he's not going to give you that. So that might be a question for us to ask tonight. Let's maybe just close our eyes if that's okay and just pray and then you guys take over whenever you want. I just, all I'm going to do is just um, very simply um, just ask you just to just think through two things. Um, the first is just appeal to anyone here who that word really fits that you know there was a time when you took you purposely took a wrong direction you purposely ignored what God has said and you know you need to go back and fix that correct that and you're able to do it I would just give you just a moment to make that commitment to God make that decision I believe God would say to you if you do that some of the other stuff will start becoming more clearer to you. You might be not forgiving someone. That's just the other word that kind of comes to my mind right now. 
But for some others, there's, there's just another time when you just took that misstep. And then secondly, I would just ask if there's anyone in this room brave enough to begin to ask the question, Lord, what is the thing that would most advance your kingdom? And build that into your life as your primary question. Lord, what is the thing that will most advance your kingdom? Being prepared that if God speaks to you, you're prepared to go for it 100%. So I just want to give you that moment just to make that commitment. Ask that question, Lord, I want you to speak to me. And I am prepared to go for it. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness and your love. Thank you for this opportunity. Pray, Lord, you'll bless um, this church. Pray, Lord, you'll bless this first through offering, Lord, uh, in an incredible way. And uh, just love what Anthony said, Lord. Just may this church be a beacon for your kingdom, Lord, we pray. And as people give, Lord, uh, even tonight, Lord, as people make a commitment, even tonight to give, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they will see, Lord, that fruit in heaven. In your name we ask it, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.